Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah. Nehemiah in the Old Testament. I'm going to have you uh, flip to two, go to two passages here in a minute. But Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. What a blessing it is to be at church this morning. I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful you're here. And I'm thankful God has chosen us to be here for such a time as this. And uh, each of you are very important to the Lord. And uh, God's, God's working in your life. And I hope you know that. I hope you sense that. Because He is. He is working. He's doing a great work. And the best thing that we can do in this life is to realize that He's wanting to do a work and let Him do it. Let Him do it. And, uh, you know, we go around the construction these days, and there's been some around here lately, and you get those big orange signs uh, that says, Men at Work. And uh, just to let people know that, hey... Uh, you know, be cautious, be aware, and uh, be careful, and all those things. But, you know, I got to think of some spiritual application to that. You know, each one of us can, can, can technically, and I hope all of us can put a, a orange sign in the front of our heart, spiritually speaking, symbolically speaking, saying, God is at work. Because He's doing a work in each of our lives. And uh, we're certainly thankful for that. Because we're all a work in progress. <laughs> we all are all growing in grace and uh, maturing by, by His good hand. I'm thankful that God reminds us that in so many wonderful ways uh, every day. And uh, I think of our children. I think of our children uh, and, and my children. How they teach me so many lessons every day about God's grace. And uh, you say, well, what, how do they teach you about God's grace? Well, I just, I just see the things that they do and their, and their years of immaturity. They're developing. Their minds are developing. And, and I see the things that they do. And I, I, in my spirit, sometimes want to get antagonistic or opposing or angry or whatever the case may be, but God reminds me of son, that's not the way I respond. I respond in grace. Not that we don't hold people accountable and hold our children accountable and teach and instruct, but I want to tell you something. We are God's children. And we we act immature, we act selfish a lot of times in life and we do this, but you know what God is doing in His grace? He is walking with us, teaching us, forgiving us, leading us, changing us. Amen? And uh, some churches say these days, uh, uh, come as you are. Hey, I don't have any problems with that right there. But as long as you don't have the philosophy is stay as you are. Because God has called us to come as we are, absolutely. But He says, when you come to me as you are, He said, I'm going to do some work on your heart. <laughs> Amen? That's so true. The Lord's doing a work. And so we come here just as we are today with all our stuff and saying, God, help, lead us, strengthen us. And he does that. And he, he changes us. And uh, we leave here differently than when we came in. That's my prayer. And that, that's what I'm crying out to the Lord for this morning. You find your place there in Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, stick your bulletin there or your pen or something. Nehemiah chapter 3. And go over to the New Testament. And I'm going to get you here. Just for a moment, we're just going to have you mark your place in First Thessalonians. Now, that's located right there between Timothy. If you go to Timothy, you've gone too far. But uh, if you go to Philippians and Colossians, you'll run right in to Thessalonians. Okay, so 
Just find Timothy and you can flip backwards a little bit there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So you'll hold your, find your place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We will come back to this passage, but I just wanted you to be able to mark it in your Bible. So when we do turn to it, uh, you'll be able to just flip right to it. So that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You mark that and then go back to our passage of Nehemiah uh, chapter 3. We'll be looking at several verses this morning together. What a joy it is to be here in the Lord's presence. Amen. Notice the Bible says, I'm going to read just verse 29 of Nehemiah chapter 3. And here we're going to look at the ninth gate that is mentioned in Nehemiah chapter 3. There's a total of ten that they are repairing. They're building, rebuilding the wall. They're repairing the gates. And today we're going to look at this ninth gate and look at its significance, if you will. And also the spiritual application that goes with each of these gates. Now, verse 29 says, After them repaired Zadok, the son of Emmer, over against his house. After him repaired also Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. You can underline that in your Bibles. It is the east gate. That is the gate we will be speaking about this morning. And also we'll be, I'll be giving you the spiritual application for this gate. What does it represent? In our lives today, how can we, uh, what does the Holy Spirit want us to learn from each of these gates? And we have been. God's been teaching us a lot. Uh, but I, I want to take a deeper look at the East Gate this morning with God's help. Let's pray together as we get ready to enter into the Word, the preaching. And I ask you to pray for me and, and uh, that the Lord would just help me. Father, I'm so thankful To be standing here. It is a gift. It's not anything I've earned. Lord, it is a gift. It is a gift of grace. Thank you for allowing me to be here. And I thank you for these precious people before me. And Lord, working in their lives and bringing them here uh, for today. For such a time as this. And so Lord, what we're wanting to do here is we, we want you to have our undivided attention. But Holy Spirit, we are so distracted. I have a little bit of advantage that I can be doing all the talking, but, but I know as a listener many times, and even, even during times of preaching, we get distracted by the things of this world. We think about other things. I pray that you would remove distractions. I pray that you would reveal the truth of your word today. And we'll thank you for what you will do as we submit our hearts here in the very beginning to whatever you teach us, Lord. We're going to say this together in our hearts. Lord, we will obey you. Oh, God, help us. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. The gates that we have spoken about through chapter 3 have all had a spiritual truth that we gain from. I'm not going to walk through each of those for the sake of time. You can go back and listen to previous messages. We've recorded them. We have them online. 
the last one we did, just since it was the one before, it was the horse gate. We talked about how that speaks of warfare and specifically spiritual warfare. We're in a battle, uh, good and evil, uh, the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. It's real, folks. It's real. You've experienced it this week in some way. I guarantee you, you have experienced spiritual warfare. Uh, the, the enemy seeking to oppose you and to oppose your, your mind. He, the battleground is the mind. The, the enemy wants to get us to think about ourselves instead of thinking about Jesus. That is the enemy's goal. Because the worship of self is the spirit of Satan. Because he, in the beginning, turned against God because he wanted to be worshipped. So anybody that carries the spirit of self-worship is a satanic and demonic spirit. And I'm embarrassed to say that I have had that spirit before in my life many times where I cared more about me than anybody else, including God. Everyone's experienced that. But the goal, the goal of the believer is to have the mind of Christ and to be filled with the Holy Spirit where we're all about Him. He must increase. I must decrease. That's the goal, friends. That's spiritual warfare. And we talked about how important it is. They repaired that gate. That we gotta, we got to be on that wall and repairing that every day. Spiritual warfare. But today we move to the East Gate. Now, the East Gate is, is I believe... Very significant along the old wall of Jerusalem. And I'm going to mention some of those things there of of how it was significant. And I want to talk about today with the Lord's help much about how truly the Lord actually entered into Jerusalem through this gate in his triumphant entry. When he came in riding upon a donkey. Now, many believe that the original gate is, has been buried and covered up on, but it was in the same area, uh, from, of course, it was, uh, torn down, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar and then, of course, built back up through this time. But nevertheless, this would have been of the same area that he came through. And he, of course, even after that, in 70 AD, through Titus, they would destroy the city. Uh, the Romans would. And then, uh, on top of that, there has been uh, other empires. The Ottoman Empire actually built upon this, and they sealed the gate, and it's sealed to this day. You can see pictures of the, the eastern gate there. Uh, was uh, That was in the 1500s, because many believe they did this because that the, the Jewish Messiah, the Jews believed that the Messiah would come through the eastern gate. and And so they... And their theory that we'll build this massive, uh, we'll seal this massive gate called the East Gate and we'll close it off. Well, it remains closed to this day. But I'll tell you right now, it won't stop the Messiah from coming through. And we'll, and we're not going to get into a lot of the, 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 the second coming of Christ, uh, in that regard when he sets his feet upon the earth again. But, uh, but nevertheless, it has a, a, a lot of significance, uh, that we have there. Now, The question is, what kind of application can we make today regarding the the East Gate? Well, I believe it speaks of the Lord's soon return. Now, 
there are two returns that are yet to happen. And I would like to talk about the first return. The first return that the Lord will come again will meet us in the air. He will come to the clouds and he will call his church. We'll look at that more in depth in a minute. That's the first part of his coming. Then, after he rescues his church from this earth, the the believers, then there will be seven years of tribulation. The last three and a half would be the great tribulation. But nevertheless, we see that we will be delivered out of that. But when he comes back that second time, He'll come back with his bride. The first time he comes for his bride. The second time he comes with his bride, the church, and comes, sets his feet upon earth again. And he will rule and reign upon this earth. And he will reign for a thousand years. And it will be, it will be the same earth that we're on right now. But it will be made perfect by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And, and we are preparing for that day even right now. Now, you see, the East Gate speaks, I do believe, of our Lord's coming. We need to be ready. The church, I believe, has fallen asleep in many ways concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ. I, along with so many others, if we're all honest, sometimes totally just shun the idea. Or if if we don't shun it, we, we are ignorant of it or we ignore it or we just become apathetic about it. The coming of the Lord. But I believe it is a doctrine that is taught clearly in the New Testament. And it is a doctrine that the church of God must be fresh in. We must be reminded of it. We must be uh, thrilled about it if we're living for the Lord. The the, the return of Christ, also called the rapture, is the next thing on the prophetic timeline. I will mention, before I finish this message, there is, and please don't, don't write me off as a heretic when I say this, but I do believe there is one more thing. To take place before the coming of the Lord. And I'll get to that here in just a moment. But go over with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now... I'm not trying to be Paul Harvey anything. I'm not going to try to go back. But, you know, he wrote that poem, if you will, that if I were the devil, I'm not going to go through all that. These are the things that I would do. But I will say this. If I were the devil, one of the things that I would do as a strategy is I would seek to numb the church in regards to the rapture. <laughs> Lord coming. They've always been saying that. They've always been talking about it. Well, it's going to happen, but, you know, hey, probably not going to be in my lifetime. Most likely won't be today. If I was the enemy, that's what I would want to convince the church. I would want to numb the church and blind the church of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Remember what the New Testament teaches about Jesus and the church. He is the groom. We are the bride. 
We are the bride of Christ. All those that have been born into the family of God are considered the bride of Christ. That's every believer. I'm not even talking about denominations. I don't care what denomination you are. When Jesus comes back, he's not going to call out a denomination. He's going to call out believers. Those that are in Christ. That's when we all will get along, praise God. But until then, there must be division. You say, what? Absolutely, truth divides. Never forget that. Truth divides. Error divides. But truth also divides. We have to stand on truth. And because of standing on truth, there will always be divisions. Now, we don't try to divide, but when it comes to truth, we always stand with truth. And you will be separated from, and there will be separation. That's when Jesus, that's the context when he said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. He was not contradicting himself because he is the prince of peace. But what he was, if you read the whole context, what he was talking about is the fact that he, mothers and, 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 and fathers and, and children and parents will be set at naught when, when people decide to follow truth. There will be separation. And we don't strive for that. We're not purposely trying to do that. But it will happen. But thank God, when He comes, we're all going to get along. And we'll all be Baptists. I'm just kidding, okay? No, no that's not true. But, but, but the nevertheless, it, it, is, it is something that we need to look forward to. And we need to preach about it. We need to talk about it. We need to think about it. And you see, when Nehemiah was building up and they were repairing the east gate, you know, as this is, I believe, the spiritual application, I think this is a gate that remains torn down in many churches. You don't hear in churches about the second coming of the Lord as much as you did perhaps at one time. It's not taken as seriously. And, and I believe it's something that needs to be put back out on the forefront always. God's church always needs to be looking for the groom. We need to be looking for Him in our lives. We need to live in the reality of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice with me in First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading here in verse number 13, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. He's talking about those that have passed away, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, who have died in the Lord, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds." To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This, ladies and gentlemen, is God's word telling us that the church needs to be ready for the coming of the Lord. 
What do we see here about his return? Number one, I want us to see his shout. Notice there. In verse number 16, it says the Lord will descend from heaven. And it doesn't just say the Lord. It says the Lord what? Say that again with me. The Lord. One more time. The Lord himself. The Lord Jesus, the one that came and was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose again the third day and ascended up into glory 40 days later and has since been sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the people of God. He's coming. He's coming back. He's going to come to the clouds himself, our precious Lord Jesus. And the Bible says we're going to see him as he is. That's the Lord. He's not just going to send, although he will be accompanied by the angels. We notice that here and in just a moment. It's going to be also the voice of the archangel. We believe that angels will always be around our Lord. You remember they ministered to him in the garden. You remember they ministered to him when he was tempted by Satan in the desert. They, they will come and they will assist him. It's going to be getting ready for battle, brethren. It's going to be getting ready for battle. You say, really? Oh, yeah. You see, he's going to come back and call his bride. And then there's going to be seven years where we will come back after that. And there's going to be a great battle between good and evil. But I want us to see here that we, 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 we understand the context of this passage. The church in Thessalonica were really concerned because their loved ones had died and they were expecting the Lord's return at any time. And they were questioning, are they going to be able to go and see the Lord when the Lord comes? So what, what we have here is Paul just clarifying some doctrine about the coming of the Lord. And what he is telling them, church, is like, look, don't you worry about that. Because, in fact, they're going to rise up first. I, always, I like what one preacher reminded us of. They may get up first, but we'll catch up with them. Because the Bible says we're caught up together. Amen. We'll catch up with them. They won't beat us, but they will get up first. But the Bible says that those that have passed before us that are in Christ, I believe since the day of Pentecost, I believe that resurrection of the Old Testament saints will come at another time. But we see here that this is uh, truly the, the church. The church, those that have died in the Lord, it doesn't matter where they've died. Some have died out at sea. Some have died to a tragic fire of some sort. Some have been buried in the sands of the desert and they've disintegrated. There's, there's, there's some places where they, their graves cannot be detected, neither any bodies, but miraculously. When the Lord comes back, church, God Almighty Jesus Christ will call forth and everyone that has died in the Lord Jesus Christ will be raised. Be resurrected. They will be given their their glorified body. They, their spirit will be united with their body, and it's a miracle. Now, listen. If you have a hard time believing that, I got a question for you. Then, how do you believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Because what Paul said here, notice verse fourteen. Before he introduces this doctrine of the rapture, notice what he says: if. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. You know what it did? I believe this is teaching here. It's several truths, but one of the things it's teaching is this. If you can believe that God Almighty 
died on the cross, and I hope you do, and rose again the third day, overcoming death forever, for those that will put their faith in the gospel, you will have no problem believing that Jesus is going to return and there's going to be a grand resurrection day. It's not a problem. It's a matter of believing what God's Word has declared. We see the shout of Jesus Christ. He is going to come and it is going to be a glorious shout. It's going to be a voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Trumpets in the Bible speak many times of jubilee, but it also speaks of battle. And I believe that even during this calling, get this, you know that Satan has been given uh, authority as the prince and power of the air. And I believe that Jesus will be accompanied by angels because even when that rapture takes place, I believe in the spiritual warfare realm, I believe the demons of hell may even try to attempt His church from coming, his, the bride of Jesus coming and meeting the Lord together. But there will be battles right there. The angels will guard His church. We will be all called up together. And now listen, there are two types of people in this room right now. Only two types. Only two. Those that are in Christ and those that are out of Christ. You either have the nature of God in you right now or you have the nature of the devil. There's only two natures. The Bible says we are born as children of wrath. Okay? We have the nature of the wicked one when we are born into this world. And those that are apart from Christ. And and then you have those that are in Christ. You see, he's going to appear, the Bible says. Notice not only his shout, but notice his appearing. We notice his appearing as it says there that when he descends from heaven with a shout, he himself will, will be there. It, it's like in Acts 1.11. Remember, he, the disciples were up there gazing. They couldn't believe what their eyes were, were seeing. Jesus rising up there. And you know, what was the message of the angels? Oh, Why stand you gazing? This same Jesus who is being taken up will come in like manner. You see, the message there is that Jesus Christ is going to appear. Even in John chapter 14, verse 3, he says, I have gone to prepare a place for you, but I will come again. I will come for you. He's going to appear. You see, there was a time... When he was suspended between heaven and earth. But it was on a cross. The next time he comes, brethren, he will be suspended between heaven and earth. But it will be on a cloud. A cloud where he calls the bride, come, come. We don't know when that time is. We don't know when that time is. Don't ever listen to date setters. I'm telling you, as your pastor, don't listen. Listen, if you know the date setter personally, you could put this person to the test. You say, how? You say, sir or ma'am, if you really believe that, will you deed your house to me for the day after the date you're saying? (laughs) If they really believe it, just go ahead and sign it off, okay? I'll take care of it. We don't know the date. Only God the Father knows the date. Brethren, one day, and it could be today, He's going to say, Son, go get your bride. And just like the group of believers were there 2,000 years ago, when 
Jesus was born of Mary the Virgin. All of those people, they didn't know that He was going to come then. Many of them were shocked. But some were looking, some were believing. And I believe that we too can be believing and anticipating and living our lives in the reality of His coming. You see, He's going to appear. It could be today. I don't know. But Paul thought that it was going to be in his day because it says in verse 15, we, including himself, which are alive and remain. He's speaking in the context of himself. And so if Paul believed it, and I say this dogmatically, I believe every believer with authority, get this, I do believe that every believer with authority can believe and expect the coming of the Lord to come in their lifetime. I believe that's right. We don't know the date, but we should expect it. It could be. And if it is, that'll be glorious. And I hope that we'll be encouraged by that. We see His appearing. Now, notice thirdly, His bride. Now, that's where we see here that we which are alive and remain shall be called up together, those that have passed away in the clouds. And notice what it says, to what the Lord? Say it with me, to... Meet the Lord. One more time, everybody. To to meet the Lord in the air. Oh, my friends, what is the difference between the, the second coming of Christ where he comes back to take over the kingdom of the world and the rapture? It is this. In the rapture, he returns in the air. In the second coming, he returns to the earth. When in the rapture, he comes for his saints. But then the next one, he's coming with his saints. You see, the rapture concerns the church, but the second coming concerns Israel and the nations. You see, the rapture is imminent. Uh, the second coming is not. You see, in no signs, by the way, precede the rapture. You say, well, wait a minute. Don't we see that the times and things changing, wars and rumors of wars? Yes, we do. But don't, but don't get confused. There is nothing that needs to take place in order for the Lord to return, except for one thing. And that is that last sinner that puts his faith in the gospel before the Lord returns. Because that's what we're waiting on. Whenever that last sinner, whoever it is, says, Lord Jesus, I believe in his heart. God the Father at that time will say, son, go get your bride. I don't know who that will be. I don't know where they will be. But I like one preacher challenging. I just said, oh, I've never thought of it like that. Wouldn't it be awesome? Think about this. You know when, when the 3,000 got saved there in the Pentecost in the church. Remember that? And they had the 120 there as, the, as, the, as the, the altar workers, if you will. They had the ones that just helped counsel them, lead them to Christ. I wonder who had the privilege of leading that first soul to Jesus at the beginning of the church. But get this. What if God allowed you to be that, that saint of His that leads that last sinner to Jesus Christ? And you hear one day, well done, now good and faithful servant, you won the last one. Wow! 
Hey, I don't care if it's the last one, but I want to tell you, I, I want to be one day where I stand before the Lord and God says, Son, well done. You planted those seeds. You watered those seeds. You tried to point people to the cross. You tried to tell them about Jesus Christ in your workplace. You tried to lead them to the Lord. You tried to give them the truth of God's Word. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for leading them to the cross while you had that precious time on earth. You see, His bride, He's coming. We're going to meet Him in the air. The Bible says we'll be changed. Over in 1 Corinthians, in the twinkling of an eye. You see, if the, if, see, we all, I told the teens this morning, you know, it's, it's, one, it's, it's hard to be transparent. Because when we're transparent, that means we're real, and that means you're going to see the good and the bad of me. Not that we aren't to flaunt our badness. I'm not, you, you get my point here. But look, when the rapture takes place, if it were to take place during this message... Although we all look alike here, we all dressed our, our best this morning, we all look nice, we got our Bibles, we, we got our families, we're, we're in here sitting in this, in this pew. But here's the thing, if the Lord were to return and call His church, and it will, hap, it will just be like a, a, a less than an atom, it, it, it will be nanosecond, it will be just a blink of an eye, the twinkling of an eye, not even a blink, but the twinkle of an eye, that's quick. There will be some people left behind. It might be someone sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you. I don't know. Only God knows. But there are two types of people here this morning. I'm not talking about, there are some that believe that only spirit-filled people will be raptured. That's not Bible. That may try to be used as manipulate people, but it's not Bible. Okay? The truth of the matter is, there will be people left behind. And I hope you're not one of them. I hope that you know that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. That you've put your faith in the gospel. You're not playing church. You're not just going through the motions. You are, you know that you know that you have put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if not, if the rapture takes place today, the Bible says you will be left behind. And what is and who is left behind are all unbelievers. And I tell you, God has called His church to be the conscience of this lost world. You think for a moment things are bad right now? You got, you got millions of Christians in this world who have the Holy Spirit that, as one has said, is the conscience of this world. But you remove the conscience of the world when you remove the Holy Spirit. And you think it's evil and bad and ferocious now, friend. It it will become hell on earth, especially the second half of the tribulation. And God is on a rescue mission. And He's going to come and deliver His church from even experiencing that. We better be ready. Let me give you this in closing. If you're taking notes, I just want to give you four points here. It's called meat. Don't, don't be afraid. I'm not going to preach these, but I want you to give them to you as a memory. Alright? So, meet here, going with the, meet the Lord in the air. How can we prepare for His coming? The Bible, let me say number one, you write these down. Meditate upon this truth daily. Meditate upon His coming daily. M is for meditate 
upon this daily. Thy kingdom come. That's what's got to happen before the kingdom comes to this earth. God has to call his bride out. So when we say the kingdom come, we're saying with John, the apostle, as he said on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation, he said, Lord, come quickly. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Revelation 22. That ought to be the heartbeat of every believer. We get so comfortable in this world. Now listen, I'm not getting down. I love my life. I love my wife, my children. I love you. I love this church. I love my hobbies. I love the work here. I, I, I love this life that God has blessed me with. But may God help me if I love this life more than I love His appearing. I want to look forward to meeting my Lord in the air. So number one, we meditate upon this truth daily. Secondly, we encourage one another daily. We encourage, we exhort one another daily. Hey, we just seek to be an encouragement. That's what he told the church of Thessalonica. He said, wherefore comfort, that word is exhort. That word is encourage. Comfort one another with these words. You know, this world is doom and gloom in a lot of regards, okay? There are people that will convince you that this life stinks. There are people that will convince you you don't want to bring children in this world, as Brother Edwards mentioned in the Bible conference. That's a lie. Listen, God Almighty has blessed us with this life, and we do that by by encouraging each other that God is coming. And He will rescue His church. His bride. He will pull them out of this earth before the wrath of mankind begins to rage. And then the wrath of God comes down upon this earth. You see, we need to encourage one another. Hey, just know the Lord is in control. (laughs) He's he's going to fix it all, friend. And we need to be encouraging like that. You know, sometimes you just need to turn off news radio. Sometimes you need to turn off the blogs and the social media. Because all they do is negative, 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 negative. Negative, 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 negative. And it gets you and wears you down as a believer. You end up getting negative. You end up getting down. You end up getting discouraged. Hey, just turn that stuff off. Give yourself a break from it. And let God work in your heart saying today could be the day our Lord comes. Let's be faithful. Let's point people to the cross. Let's live the resurrected life. Let's do a work for God. That's what the Spirit of God's people ought to be. Another day for the Lord. Amen. Well, that just makes you want to get involved, doesn't it? No! Let's encourage one another. I thank God when I'm having a bad day, thank you for encouraging me. Because we have bad days. We all, as I said, sound like sweet Olivia at times. There are days when we feel that way, but thank God that you can come along me and I can come alongside you and encourage you. So you just keep on keeping on. The Lord's coming. We know He is. He's going to work all this mess out. The devil thinks he's winning. He thinks he's going to win. He's not. We know the end, don't we? We read the last verse, didn't we? Hey, encourage one another. 
So we got M, we got E, and then we got the, sec- the third E. And that is this. Engage in local church worship. You, you write that down. Engage in local church worship. You see, the Bible tells us these believers that were going through persecution and, 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 and they too were go- going through uh, difficult times. This, this is what the, the, the writer of Hebrews said here. He said this. He said, verse 23 of chapter 10, let us, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he, talking about God, is faithful that promised. Notice what he said. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. There's that encouragement. And then he said this. This is one of the ways we do it. And that is in verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together like we're doing today. As the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. And get this. A lot of Christians like to leave this line out. But please listen. It says... As so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Folks, that's teaching that the local church is a place to come and be engaged in more and more as we see the coming of the Lord getting closer and closer. We don't know what it's going to be, but we live in a dark world and we need local church fellowship. We need each other. We need each other Sunday mornings. We need each other Sunday nights. We need each other Wednesday nights. We need each other throughout the week to send text and calls and write letters to. We need to be praying for one another. Listen, but listen, this is our huddle. And, and, and we want to grow in our faithfulness to the local church. This is God's plan. This is not some tradition. This is New Testament. This is the plan of God. God's people assembling together. And more and more as the day approaches. That's why we ought to be faithful to the, to the church. There's nothing special about these walls. I thank God for the people that laid those bricks in 1970. I appreciate them. I appreciate whoever hung these lights right here. I appreciate whoever patted these pews and y'all said amen. I appreciate the work that's been done, but there's nothing special in, in these walls and pews and these lights. I want to tell you what's special is the people that are sitting in the pews. Because you're God's church. And when God's church comes together, we get to know each other better. We get to feel each other's hearts better. We get to talk. We get to sharpen. Because if we refuse, and, and, and what the world's doing, this is what the world's doing. As they see it, the day approaching, they're saying, assemble less and less and less. And so what the church becomes is just a face that you see on that one hour that you're there. Hey, good, good to see you. And then you're gone. What is that doing to the church? You're drifting apart. But when we designate those times to come together, it's on purpose because we want to be ready for the Lord's return as we encourage. And this is the last one. Not only do we meditate upon the truth of his coming, not only do we encourage one another and not only do we engage in local church worship, but fourth, we tell others about the gospel. That's your letter T. Tell others about the gospel. That's our mission. As a church. That's our mission. Listen. Church. We 
must not forsake the very thing for which for which Jesus died. Souls. Say that again. We must not forsake the very thing for which Jesus died. Souls. Pointing people to Jesus Christ. Who have you pointed to the Lord? Who have you taken by God's grace to the cross? You can't make them believe. You can't force them to believe, but you can take them to the cross and say, come here, let me let me show you what somebody showed me. This is the cross. You can take them, spiritually speaking, symbolically, you can take them to an empty tomb. Jesus died for your sin, friend, and then on the third day he rose and he's not there anymore. He's in heaven and he's coming back. And, and I don't want you to get left behind. There's nothing wrong with you saying, I don't, I don't want to see you dying and going to hell. I came face to face with a Jehovah Witness at Walmart. He's a greeter. And I just gave him a gospel tract and he refused it. And he said, I'm good. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And I said, sir, I said, I love you. And I said, I, I don't want you to die and go to hell. And, and, uh, and, and he didn't really know how to respond to that. I just think we have the authority to be able to tell people from a compassionate heart, not, you're going to hell, sinner. I don't think you'll get very far with that. That wasn't, that's not, that's not, that's not where we're going to win. It's, it's being very truthful. I don't want to see you. I don't want you to have to go to hell. I don't want you to go there. Some critic may say, oh, that's just humanism. That's just, you're just doing it just to protect humans. I want to tell you, Jesus died for them. If they're precious enough for my Savior to die for, they are precious enough for me to say, I don't want you going to hell. He rose again. I want to tell you, friends, we can be ready for His coming. Meet. M-E-E-T. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. But it's only going to be if you are in Christ. And today, if you are not born again, you've never come to believe Him as your Savior. I'm not talking about you got baptized or you've gone to church. I'm telling you, do you have the nature of God in you right now because of your faith in Christ? If you don't, you do it today. Because if He comes, you will get left behind. And the Bible teaches those that are left behind will be sent a strong delusion. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I don't have time to get into it, but I do believe it means this. There are many that heard the gospel. Many people like at Crooked Creek Baptist Church that come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and you hear the gospel, you hear the gospel, you hear the gospel. I think that's the context. I don't think it's some of these people that maybe have heard it once. I don't know that for sure, but I don't think it's those people that have heard it because I didn't get saved the first time. I didn't get saved the second, third, fourth time. But I will say this. I believe that those people that know they heard the truth and when the, when the, when the trump of God sounds and the dead in Christ and those which are alive are caught up together, those people that heard the gospel over and over and over and over and over said, I'm good. I believe their, their destiny is settled. You hardened your heart. Don't do that. 
hey, if the fire's hot right now of conviction of the Holy Spirit, respond. Respond to a loving God because one day you're going to stand before a wrathful God. And He's going to cast you into the lake of fire which burns forever and ever and ever and ever because you did not receive Christ. That is the greatest sin that anybody can ever commit is rejecting Jesus Christ. Don't be that way. Respond to the loving God that is offering His free gift of salvation because He loves you. Not because you're a good person, but because you're a very bad person. And I was a very bad person. Satan will convince you. Satan has two tactics and he's very intelligent. He does this. He will either either convince you that you're too good to be saved or he will convince you that you're too bad to be saved. Whoever he's speaking to, he'll use either one of those. But they're both a lie. Does anybody remember what happened on December the 7th, 1941? Anybody remember that? Pearl Harbor. It was a day that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, inflicting great damage upon American forces stationed there. And on December 8th, President Franklin Roosevelt delivered his Day of Infamy speech before Congress, which the body, when declared war, the body declared war upon Japan, Germany, and Italy. And on Tuesday, December 9th, Roosevelt sent telegrams to the U.S. ambassadors, get this, to the U.S. ambassadors serving in Tokyo, Berlin, and Rome, ordering them to leave for home immediately. And it is, of course, the standard procedure for a king or president to call his ambassadors home before the waging war. And with all this in mind, remember this, Christians. It may be said that someday God will declare an all-out war on the evil occupying planet Earth, known as the Great Tribulation. But before He does, He will call His ambassadors home. And He will call us home, and we need to be ready, we need to be encouraged, we need to keep pressing forward, because that gate, the east gate, Our Lord will one day come back and pass through. And He will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And we will reign with Him. And it's going to be awesome. But the best way to get prepared for it is to get born again. And if you are born again, the best way, next way is just let God revive your heart. I tell you, if He came today, would you be content with what you're participating in? With what you're watching? With what you're thinking? You know what I pray? I pray that there would be a, a revival that would come across Crooked Creek Baptist Church. In light of His coming, saying, God, you know where I'm at. I do not want you to come back and I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't want that to be my life, Lord. I, I want to get right. It might be husbands confessing sin to their wives or wives confessing sin to their husbands, children getting right with parents, members getting right with each other. I'm just telling you, we get real and get ready. I'm telling you, God will do a work of revival. Let's let Him do it. Let's just open up our lives and say, God, You know where I'm at. I want to be ready for Your coming if it's even today. Let's pray. Father, I trust You to do the work.